0: Well, good morning. Again, good morning. My name is George Davis. Thanks for joining us this morning, whether you're in person or online. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Colossians chapter 2, the book of Colossians chapter 2. Thanks, Bob. As you're turning there, I, too, just want to highlight something we've been mentioning around here, and that is, you know, as a church family, we talk a lot about taking next steps. And for you, perhaps a next step is exploring membership. And so our next membership classes start this week. They're going to be the next two Wednesday nights. Rose and I will actually be hosting them in our home. And uh, if if you would like to know more really about who we are in terms of our doctrinal commitments and our philosophy of ministry, and you'd like to kind of just find out more about what it means to be a part of the church, this is a great process for you. You can come. You don't actually have to go through the full process. You can kind of get the material and decide if this is a next step for you. But I would encourage you, if this is a next step for you, to join us Wednesday night. You know, we live in a low commitment culture and going through this process is one of the ways I think that you solidify your commitment. If you truly say, this is my church family, this is my church home, this is a way to kind of take a next step in that process. So there's information and you can also find that on our website. Now, as we come to Colossians chapter two, um, let let me talk for a moment about an experience. An experience that some of you have already had An experience that many of us are people that we know will have in the future. And that experience goes something like this. You go in for a doctor's appointment. Maybe there's been something nagging that's just been bothering you. You just want to have it checked out. Or maybe it's a routine exam. And that leads to additional testing and additional blood work or x-rays you know whatever it leads to additional text testing and ultimately there is a a follow-up appointment when you're sitting in that doctor's office and he or she looks at you and says perhaps rather directly we've got a problem and here's what that problem is and whatever it is, it, it may lead It may lead to surgery, it may lead to other kinds of interventions, change in diet, that we've got to do these procedures, we've got, we've got to put you on this treatment plan. But the reality is, if you have gone through that experience, and if you go through the experience, you have to come to grips with the fact that you have been perhaps walking around with something going on in your life, something going on in your body, that you didn't fully appreciate. You've been carrying around this sickness, this problem that you didn't even know was there. And the truth is, even as even that can happen to us physically, it can also happen to us emotionally and spiritually. To show you what I mean, I want to now come to Colossians chapter 2. If you're new with us this morning, you've just joined us, thanks for being a part of our services this morning, and we're in this series where we're going through the letters of the Apostle Paul. We're spending one or two weeks in these letters, just kind of dipping into these letters, but understanding how this apostle writing to new Christians all over the Greco-Roman world was helping them understand what it means to be shaped by the message of Jesus, And this morning we come to Colossians. Colossians is one of a group of uh, four letters, sometimes referred to as the prison letters, are the prison epistles, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon. And they're referred to as the prison letters because Paul was writing from prison. We understand that, for instance, toward the end of... uh, This book, Colossians, when Paul talks about remembering my change, he's writing from prison. And as he writes from prison, he's writing to this place. Let me show you a map. You'll see the little arrow there. So this is what we refer to now as uh, modern Turkey. It was then known as Asia Minor. And you can see that arrow pointing to a place called Colossae in what was known as the Lycus valley. He's writing to this group of early followers of Jesus Christ. And as he begins the letter, the truth is there's a lot to celebrate. And Paul does that in his opening. He talks about how their faith has been at work. He celebrates their love for one another. He says really the gospel is, is, is bringing about change. It's bearing fruit, not only in your community, but all over the world. So as Paul looks at this church, there's, there's, there's much to celebrate. But then, then we get to chapter 2. And just like a doctor sitting you down in his or her office saying, hey, we've got a problem we've got to address. Paul writes his church and says, hey, we've, we've got a problem you need to deal with. And he begins to address that in the middle of chapter 2. So notice verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. And as we read the rest of chapter 2, I think it becomes apparent, these aren't just kind of generic concerns or warnings. These are warnings rooted in things happening in the church. That's why Paul spends so much time dealing with these. There's, there's some problems that have started to develop, false teaching that has started to gain traction in this church. And Paul said, hey, look, you may not realize it, but but we've got a problem. And, and notice there's there's an inherent contrast in this passage. He talks about you being, I don't want you to be taken captive through through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces. And I think the idea there is just the reality that there are negative spiritual forces at work in the world. So he says, look, uh, you're in danger of being taken captive by these things rather than continuing the journey of walking with Christ. So that's the the contrast that is at work here. So there's a contrast here. And notice, I think... (laughs) I think there's also an interesting dynamic to the warning. I find find this fascinating, the language that Paul uses. Remember, Paul is the one in prison, right? Paul is physically in prison. And at least on the surface, it seems like a lot of good things are happening at the church in Colossae. But writing from prison, Paul in essence says, look, I don't want you to be taken captive. It's almost like he says, look, I know I'm in prison, but the reality is there's a much greater danger lurking, and that's, you can be taken captive even though you don't realize it. So Paul sits them down and says, look, we've got a problem. Now, what, what exactly was the nature of the problem? I mean, if, if Paul has concern about false teaching, and, and of course this concern uh, pops up in multiple of his letters. It was an ongoing challenge in, in early churches in the christian movement so if if Paul is concerned about false teachings that were beginning to influence the church what, what exactly did this involve and I I want to be, I be very clear and up front, that that question generates all sorts of debate. There are multiple theories about what, what was actually underneath this criticism, what was really going on in this church, what's the nature of these false teachers of the false teachings. And so we could spend hours kind of unpacking multiple theories, but let me just sh- share one I think that really makes a lot of sense. And I think, I think actually what was going on in the church was something like this. There are individuals, perhaps from a Jewish background, who had taken certain themes from Judaism and, and, and even the way Judaism was practiced. And then they had kind of combined that with aspects of local religion, kind of, you know, mashing it all up together. And then they had now become either part of this church or somehow started to exercise influence in the church. So they take kind of these different ideas from different groups and they bring it together together kind of a a more technical term is syncretism, and now they kind of are (laughs) starting to influence or somehow they're coming into the church and it's like all this stuff is just kind of getting mashed together, right? So Paul gives us certain clues in the letter. Here's some of the the things the teachers seem to have been advocating, right? So circumcision, uh, Sabbath observance, ritual purity, Worship of angels, ascetic worship practices. You see kind of allusions to that, these themes throughout the passage. So again, I think some of this most likely comes from kind of okay, we're gonna take these standards from the way Judaism was practiced, and some of this, including some of the ascetic worship practice worship of angels, may have actually come from other kind of local religions, kind of and, and it's like we hey we just kind of mix it all up together. And that was pretty common in the ancient world anyway. So for some people, this just would have been the way you operated. So we kind of, we just mash it all together. And then maybe we got involved in the church or somehow we, we started kind of being intrigued by this message of Jesus. So we kind of just take that and we just add it all to the mix, right? You just kind of, you know, it just kind of gets all brought in together. And Paul says, whoa, 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 you can't, you, you, you don't, you don't, you don't do that with the message of Jesus. And just kind of pick and choose and then add it all together, and so so much of the rest of the passage then becomes his critique of what was going on. And, and what did, how did Paul describe the problem? OK, Paul, what's, what's wrong with this? And, and I think in the following verses in the next couple of paragraphs, I think there are a couple of themes that Paul really seems to highlight. What's Paul's critique? Well, I think, among other things, he's saying, Look, you you have denied the fullness of Christ. Right? I mean, in taking right in, in, in terms of kind of, okay, we've got a little bit of this, and we're gonna add a little bit of that, we've got a little bit of our maybe the kind of the, the local religions, and here's some of these behavioral expectations from Judaism, we're gonna bring in a little Jesus, and we're just gonna mix it all up together. And Paul is saying, Look, you know, when you do that. The fullness, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ is lost. And it's interesting because Paul has already referenced the fullness of who Christ is earlier in the letter. And I think he does that. He puts a great emphasis on who Christ is in the opening part of this letter. Because even though he knows some things are really going well in the church, he sees this as an underlying problem. This is what we need to deal with. So he's already talked about the fullness of Christ because this is where he's headed in the letter. So notice how this passage continues, right? For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And notice this, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. And I think in saying that, perhaps Paul is is aware, you know, in in some real sense, I think this is just part of the human experience. In some real sense, part of being human is, is seeking fullness, right? In some real sense, part of being human is wanting our lives to work, to make sense, to have meaning, significance. Now, we do that in all sorts of ways. And sometimes the way we kind of pursue fullness are are destructive and unhealthy. But there's something about being human that that kind of pulls us. We've been created in the image of God. We've been created to be a part of what he's doing. And so there's something in us that pulls us towards this fullness. And Paul is saying, look, I want you to understand that you've already been brought into fullness. Because you've been brought into relationship with Christ. And, and, and in doing that, notice Paul stresses the uniqueness of who Christ is. He is the head over every power and authority. And then this really interesting phrase, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now, what is that about? Well, I think that language actually ties into some expectations rooted in the Old Testament. Rooted in the idea that God one day is going to change people, transform them, from the inside out. In, in different ways the Old Testament anticipates this. Even in Deuteronomy 30. You know, uh, Moses has this expectation. One day God is going to circumcise their hearts. And Paul is saying this, this is what Christ has done in your life. Your whole self rooted by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. And which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And then again, Paul is is unpacking who Christ is and what he has done. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And it's fascinating. This is just one word in Greek. He made you alive together with. I think, man, if you want to, Summarize the gospel in one word. That's it, isn't it? He made you alive together with. And how did he do that? He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. By the way, if you're in the habit of marking your Bible, and I encourage you to do that, either a paper copy or electronic device, highlight... Verses 14 and 15 here, because this is, one, this is one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament about the nature of the work of the cross, right? Christ has addressed the penalty of sin. Furthermore, he has disarmed the power of sin. So, so Paul is looking at these Colossians and saying, "Look, here's the problem. You can't take, you take, you take, you take the truth of Christ, and you're in danger, just kind of putting it together with all this other stuff. And in doing so, you're moving away from the gospel. In doing so, you're you're moving away from the fullness of who Christ is and what God is doing through him. And this really then leads to another dimension of Paul's critique. And it's it's not simply you're, you're denying You're denying the fullness of Christ. But as you're doing that, you're also denying the freedom that comes from Christ. Notice how the passage continues. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. And I think the implication is this is what's going on, right? We, we kind of allowed these expectations about certain behaviors to kind of get mixed up with the gospel in unhealthy ways. And so now we're having to deal with, do I live up to the expectations of others? So, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And I think some of these are, these are things that would have been brought in from a Jewish perspective. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels disqualify you. And again, I think these are some other elements that are being brought in. You know, you need to have these kinds of experiences and perhaps uh, certain ascetic practices that were associated with religious observance, right? Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Now notice this, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence Do you you see what he's saying here? He's saying, here's what's happened, right? You've kind of gotten caught up and you've kind of been allured. You've been dragged away by these ideas. Maybe there's still some reference to Christ, but now you need to follow these behavioral standards and maybe these particular worship practices, as, as if these are the worship practices that allow you to kind of control how God operates. That would have been a thought that I think they may have brought in. And so all of this has gotten mashed together. And now you find yourself in a situation where you're now feeling the pressure of am I living up to the expectations that other people have? Am I doing this right? Is this what I have to do? And, 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 and the truth is, I'm, I'm, I'm getting locked into to approaches and behaviors and worship pra- practices that really aren't of God and they're not really bringing about change. And Paul says, look, don't you know that there's a freedom that Christ gives? Don't you know that there, there really is a freedom that comes with being brought into relationship with Christ and walking according to that relationship, being rooted in that relationship? Why, why have you let yourself be taken away from that? Why, why have you allowed yourself to be imprisoned in this other way of living that is ultimately hollow, empty, and deceptive. That's, that's what Paul is getting at in this passage, right? You, you've taken maybe elements of Christianity and now you kind of mixed it all in with these other stuff, with these kind of you know, religious behaviors and even maybe elements of paganism in terms of how we manipulate God and the religious practices that allow us to do that. All of this has gotten mashed up together, but in doing so, you have walked away from the fullness of Christ. And you have walked away from the freedom that only he That's the diagnosis of Dr. Paul as he sits the Colossian congregation down and says, we've got a problem. Now, having said that, I think underlying Paul's critique is this observation, right? fullness of Christ leads to freedom in Christ. Now here, Paul, clearly, this freedom in Christ isn't isn't just, well, you get to do your own thing. I mean, there are clear ethical behavioral expectations that flow out of the gospel. But Paul wants us to see, see and he's going to talk about those in the rest of the book, but Paul wants us to see, you know, those aren't ends in themselves. They're part of a relationship. But you become disconnected from the head. And you have lost sight that the the fullness of Christ should generate its own particular freedom in your life. Now, having said that, um, let me ask you this question. Do you know that freedom? Would you say, and I realize, you know, it's not that our lives aren't complicated. All of us, we bring, complica- we, we bring that into this room every time we meet. But even in the midst of that, would, would, would you be able to say, you know, I'm, I'm living in the freedom that Jesus offers? Are you able to say that this morning? And the reason I ask that question is I realize our situation is very different <laughs> from these, you know, the small band of Christians in the Lycus Valley several thousand years ago in Asia Minor. I realize our situation is different, but we, we can still do the same thing. And, and the truth is you may be here this morning and in a real sense... You've been taken captive, and you don't even realize it. So what what does this look like in our lives? You know, in what ways do we kind of go through the same experiences that the Colossians were experiencing? So what does this look like today? Well, maybe it looks like environments, even Christian environments, where, where you get the impression that Christians always have to measure up to certain standards. I know some of your stories, I know some of your experiences, and you would say, you know, at times I've been in church environments like that, where the message always seemed to be, you know what, you, this Christian, Christianity is all about measuring up to certain standards. And, and unfortunately, in, sometimes in those situations, it just feels like, right, the rules become an end in themselves. I remember even as a kid, you know, there's so many things I can say positively about my home church, but one of the interesting things was in my home church, we we had a Sunday morning service, we had a Sunday evening service. Some of you kind of grew up with that as well. And the fascinating thing was the dress code was totally different from morning to evening. You always dressed up in the morning. I mean, you would get the looks if you didn't. In fact, in the morning, a sport coat was considered casual, right? That was kind of the boundary of what was acceptable but he never had to dress up in the evening. And that was just, it was just the unstated rule, the unstated expectation. And I look back going, why did we do that? I have no idea. I had no explanation. That was just, that was just the rule. And it kind of, just kind of became an end in itself. And, and again, here, there's clearly. It's not that certain ethical commitments don't flow out of the gospel. But what Paul is talking about here, I think, are situations where the rules just become ends in themselves, right? He talks about you have become disconnected from the head. So maybe, maybe you've experienced that, and I think for some that's just kind of the way we approach Christianity. And I think here's one of the, interestingly, here's one of the warning signs, I think, when, when that takes root. And you see it in this text, right? I think one of the warning signs, kind of when the rules become an end in themselves, and this, this, I think, happened in the Colossian church. You, you kind of become focused on the expectations of others, right? What does Paul say? You know, look, don't, don't let others judge you. Don't let others disqualify. And so sometimes what happens, even for those of us who have a commitment to Christ, is we we kind of take our Christianity and it kind of gets mixed up with, but I I need to meet the expectations of other people. And as it turns out, sometimes the expectations become all-consuming, such that a driving question in our lives becomes, well, what are other people going to think? One of the fascinating things for me as a pastor over the years and kind of, you know, just doing life with people and being with people in different situations, sometimes really hard situations, sometimes messed up situations, sometimes complicated situations. One of the interesting things in in being with people in those seminal moments of life is sometimes as people have been dealing with some really heavy stuff, from health issues to... Marriage stuff, relational stuff, maybe behavioral stuff, family stuff. Sometimes when these relationships are severely broken, sometimes I've been in situations and it feels like the driving question is still, what are other people going to think? If I actually deal with this issue, what are other people going to think? If we take steps to get well or to really work through this, people are going to find out what will they think? Now, hear me clearly, I, I understand the importance of, you know, protecting privacy, and we, we always seek to do that in how we engage these kinds of situations, but sometimes it just feels like the, the driving concern isn't, how do I get well, or how do I live out my faith, or how do I address this hard situation? It seems like the driving concern becomes, well, what, what are other people going to think when we, when this gets out? And again, this, this is kind of an example of what happens when kind of Christianity just kind of gets mixed in with other things. I think another way we do this is we, we, take, we can take the gospel or we can take belief in God and, you know, it just kind of gets, it gets mashed in with other beliefs, other values. And a, a very seminal work uh, published several decades ago, Robert Bella, in a book called Habits of the Heart, describes a situation like this, where he, he, he was interviewing a woman, and her name was Sheila. And as she talked about her beliefs, it was like, you know, I'm going to take, I, I've taken a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and it's kind of like she had taken <laughs> different things she liked from different, either religions or belief systems, and she combined it all together, and finally, she was asked this question, so what actually do you believe? And she thought for a moment, and here's what she said. <laughs> I believe in Shilaism. But that that really made sense because that's that's what she had been doing. And sometimes what in some ways what she had done personally is kind of what is, is part of what Paul is concerned about here. Another influential sociologist by the name of Christian Smith has done some really significant long term work on kind of religion in America. And he's basically argued that in some ways a lot, of, a lot of Americans do this, and here's kind of how we do it. We take, we take kind of a belief in God, but then we really want to mix it in with a commitment to individualism, to comfort, to convenience, and it all gets mashed in together. And the result is we kind of, for many people is, you, yeah, you believe in God, you may believe in Christ, you may identify as a Christian, but you kind of believe that, well, God is just there to meet your agenda. And that means, you know, when things get complicated, when things get difficult, you're going to pray to him and you're going to ask for his assistance. But otherwise, there's really no expectation that you need to pay attention to him. He's just there. And in Smith's research, he said, you know what? This is actually the way a lot of people in our country operate. I'll just let me just give you a couple other examples of kind of the ways this can work of doing what Paul is warning against. I I think we can, right? We take the gospel. um, We can take the gospel and kind of mix it with a partisan political agenda, and we kind of view the, the success of the gospel as what happens at the ballot box. And, you know, therefore, if you're a good Christian, you've got to vote this way. You've got to endorse these particular candidates. Another way we do this is we, we take the gospel, but we kind of merge it with a particular understanding of our life story. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe there have been certain negative experiences, failures, or disappointments in my past that in so many ways are defining in how I look at life. They've been significant for me. And I believe in Jesus, but when I'm under pressure, it's those narratives that really shape who I am. I actually believe it's those experiences, those failures or disappointments that define me. And I'm not really sure I can move through them well. Now, I've given you some very different examples, but I think what they have in common is this. We're talking about other things, values, experiences, priorities being mashed up together with Christianity in a way that the person and work of Christ loses his fullness. That the power and person of Christ is diluted. And again, remember Paul argues if if you move away from the fullness of Christ you're also moving away from the freedom that he provides. And as I've said already, for some of us there may be ways in which even now we're being held captive and we don't realize it. We've just grown accustomed to it. I'm trapped in a religious lifestyle kind of do the right things, but my lifestyle is really disconnected from Jesus. I do certain things, kind of religious things, but they've really just become an end in themselves. There's no sense of connection, no sense of vitality. And this is just the way I live life. Maybe I'm trapped in the expectations of others. I'm always aware of what other people are thinking and there's always that nagging question am I measuring up you know I remember being in my 20s and at times just looking around and feeling like oh my goodness my friends seem to be moving on moving on with life faster than I am moving through the chapters of life faster than I did and I had to be careful because at times that that expectation just becomes a heavy weight and maybe you're here this morning and the truth is you've been imprisoned by the expectations of others. Maybe you're here this morning and in a real sense, you're, you're trapped by your past. Trapped in things that have happened to you, things that have been said to you, things you have done. And it's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but somehow when, when Jesus gets mixed up with all that pr- past experience, it's the past experience that comes out on top. It's the past experience that really becomes all-defining and all-shaping of how I engage life. And so Paul is telling this church, and he's telling us, I want you to know the fullness of Christ so that you live in the freedom that only he can provide. So how how do we kind of avoid what Paul is warning us against? What's the solution here? Well, in some sense, let let me take you back to the passage we looked at earlier, but it's the passage that comes right before all of this critique that Paul uh, levels against the church. Go back to verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the face as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And in a real sense, just what I want you to see, in a real sense, first... Verses 6 and 7 stand in contrast to verses 8 and following, right? Verses 8 and following is where he brings this warning. I don't want you to be captured. I don't want you to be led away. I don't want you to get stuck and simply mashing Christianity up with other beliefs and other systems. And the contrast to that, the preventative of that is what he has just said in verse 6 and 7. In other words, I think the, the expectation is, look, don't do this. This is the way you need to move forward. And notice... Notice what he says here. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. I love that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, the way you got in is the way you go on. Right? You received Jesus Christ as Lord. And Paul has already said in Colossians, he is Lord of creation, he is Lord of redemption, and he is Lord over all earthly powers. And you have now received him. So what I want you to do, Paul is saying, is I want you to live in light of that relationship. I want you to understand that you have been rooted in him. That your identity is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as you've been rooted in him, I now want you to walk in that reality with the understanding that what he is doing, he's building you up. And the idea, I think, of being built up here based on how Paul uses this language elsewhere is the idea that, that Christ is building his church. It really has a corporate image. He is building us up together. We are in this mission. We are in this way of life together. And it is his desire to strengthen us all along the way. And I think Paul's expectation is as you understand that, as you seek to live in that, you're going to be able to overflow with thankfulness. Because you're brought into the freedom that comes from understanding who God is the freedom that comes from knowing that you are rooted in him your identity is secure and the freedom that comes with therefore your life is part of a much bigger story your life has meaning and purpose in light of what Christ is doing so again i ask you are you, are you living in this freedom Maybe through this text this morning, Dr. Paul is is looking at you across the table and says, hey, we've got a problem. But in telling you we have a problem, (laughs) he's also telling you we have a plan. I want you to continue walking with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this letter, it is it's fascinating to see this church where apparently there were really some good things happening and, and there's much to celebrate. And yet even amidst that which could be celebrated and, and things that brought rejoicing, there was this, this underlying threat. And Paul says you need to be aware of that. And God, even as he brings that to their attention, I pray that this text would bring it to our attention. Because the truth is, maybe, maybe maybe, for some of us, it's like we're sitting here this morning, we're watching online, and, and, and in a real sense, we've been taken captive. In unhealthy ways, we, we've kind of taken Christianity, but we've blended it with other things. We've kind of just kind of created a certain set of rules and expectations, but they're rules and expectations really that are disconnected from Christ, disconnected from the head. Maybe we've really been taken captive by our past in some unhealthy ways. And it feels like even though we, we understand ourselves to be Christians, that it's really our past that defines us. Maybe we really are just imprisoned by the expectations of other people. And so often our, our driving concern is simply what other people would think. And somehow in just living to the expectations of others, what's been neglected is our relationship with you. So, Father, if that's the case this morning, I pray, I pray even now your spirit would just draw us back to the fullness of Jesus Christ, to the wonder, the majesty, the power, the love, the compassion, the grace of the one who created us and has now brought us back into relationship through the work of Jesus Christ. May we be drawn to him this morning and the freedom that only he can give. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Members of our prayer team to move to the front and, you know, even as we've been talking about, kind of just. Stepping out of that bondage that comes when we mix Christianity with other things. If if maybe that's where you're at this morning, we would love just to pray with you. Pray this passage of Colossians into your life, that this could be true of you, that you could be someone who's learning to walk with him because you've been rooted in this new relationship. So we're going to be available at the front. We'd love to pray with you right after this service. And now as you go, may you go as people... To understand that the fullness of Christ leads us into the freedom of Christ. Amen.